Hello everybody, welcome to a new episode of The Dissenter. I'm your host Ricardo Lopes and today I'm joined by Dr. Menelaus Apostolo. He is currently an associate professor at the University of Nicosia, Cyprus. He was born in Athens, Greece and he completed his postgraduate and graduate studies in the United Kingdom. He has published several peer-reviewed papers, books and chapters in books in the area of evolutionary psychology and today we're going to focus on topics like the evolution of singlehood, why people are single, what are the traits associated with singlehood. We're going also to talk about apparent offspring conflict in terms of mate choice and other things. So, Dr. Apostolo, thank you a lot for taking the time to come on the show. It's a pleasure to everyone. Thank you very much for inviting me. <laughs> um, so, let's go to your questions. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Okay, so my first question and starting with singlehood. I mean, the, uh, isn't it a bit hard to understand why people, I mean, when we look into evolutionary theory, for example, we usually think that one of the most important aspects in an organism's life, life is to, for it to reproduce, right? So, I mean, uh, when, when we are trying to understand singlehood from an evolutionary perspective, where should we start from? Well, okay, first of all, just to say that this is, a, this is a complex phenomenon, right? I mean, it's like, I don't have like a, just one answer saying that's it. Yeah. Uh, um, um, so, why someone is single? Well, probably has many reasons, all right? Um, uh, uh, some proximate reasons and some ultimate uh, reasons, like there's some evolutionary reasons and some actual um, reasons. Um, so, it's a phenomenon that has not been um, uh, investigated um, really. I mean, it's like there are a lot of things we don't know. And I mean, we have the, we repeat this interview, let's say, in uh, three years' time. I'm sure that I will tell you even more things. However, just to go directly to your point, you, you make a very solid point. I mean, evolutionary terms, reproduction is the key thing. I mean, sometimes you see that, uh, you know, evolutionary psychologists focus a lot on mating, and you might wonder why, but, well, it is, Central here. I mean, central in human uh, behavior. I mean, if you think about it, most people, um, you know, their behavior is driven by this. I mean, it's to find a mate, to keep a mate, to have children, then they worry about their children. But this all has to do with reproduction. So, so that's, that's key here. So, uh, okay, that's key. I mean, most people will understand this, but then it comes, all right, since this is the case, why well, a lot of people are single then? Yeah. Uh, well, one reason, one reason is that uh, um, at some point, at some time, at some uh, periods in your life, it pays to be single. So, for instance, let's say you start, um, you are young, you start your making career. Um, it's not like um, it might pay more, you know, to flirt around, to have some casual relationships. So you build your skills, uh, you see who you are. Um, uh, uh, it might not pay, let's say, when you are 15 years old uh, to establish a long-term uh, uh, relationship, right? So, uh, so that's one reason, right? Uh, it also might be in certain other periods of your life. Uh, uh, you might have, um, I mean, you have 
to build, let's say, some of your strengths, to complete your education, um, uh, to advance your career. Um, so it might pay, not in the long term, but in the short term, let's say, for a year or so, to be on your own. So to fo focus on your career, focus, let's say, on completing your studies. Um, so it, my point is that in certain cases, uh, it pays, uh, uh, or actually, sorry, for most people, uh, in, in certain situations, it pays to be uh, single. Uh, well, another obvious reason is that um, you might have, uh, you might not be in a situation uh, that will enable you to, uh, to actually be in a relationship to attract a partner. For instance, you might be ill, you might be grieving, um, you might have a health problem or anything that uh, it doesn't really pay to try to find a partner. You might, you might say, okay, solve this problem and then um, move on uh, with it. Okay, there are some people might, that might have like a serious illness or a serious addiction or something that really uh, makes it uh, hard or impossible uh, to attract and keep a partner. I would say that these are um, very, I mean, these cases are not so many, mm -hmm. but the, the, the key point that um, uh, here and um, what I find in, in my research is that a lot of people they don't have actually any serious issues, um, or they're not seriously or anything, uh, and they don't, um, uh, they're not in a period of their life that uh, uh, okay, it pays for them to be single. No, they want to find a partner, uh, uh, but they face difficulties uh, uh, in this. Um, and before I probably last about the difficulties, so we will go to this. Uh, but just to give you an idea, in, in the research we do here in the in the Greek cultural context, uh, it appears that um, for like if we get a um, hundred other people. Uh, let's say about, it depends of course, but usually about 20 to 30% they are saying they are single. Um, and from those who say they are single, um, about 40 to 50% they are saying we're single because we have difficulties finding a partner. Let's say we want to have a relationship, but we face difficulties uh, 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 in doing this. Um, and uh, the rest are something like, um, uh, you know, we prefer to be uh, single or something that we have between relationships. So, okay, I just broke up with my girlfriend. It will take me, let's say, a couple of months to find another one. So, uh, okay. So, that's a, that's a general idea. So, perhaps you can ask me something a bit more. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Sorry, but not too much. <laughs> no, no, no problem, no problem at all. Don't worry about it. Um, so let me, yeah, let me just ask you this now. So could we say that singlehood or being single is a strategy that is part of our evolved repertoire? That is, it, is it something that was under some sort of uh, selection or not? Uh, what I would think is that um, uh, it is a part of uh, making strategies, but um, for most people, uh, a short-term one, um, not a strategy that uh, most people would adopt uh, 
let's say, the long term. Um, in the long term, uh, most people would like to have uh, to get into an intimate uh, relationship. Um, let me give you an idea. I mean, it's like we collect some data now, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, uh, probably will be published in the next uh, year or so. And it was like something uh, of what people uh, in general. What would you like? I mean, would you like to have many short casual relationships? Would you like to have uh, one uh, intimate uh, long term relationship? Because um, you like a forced choice kind of thing, uh, but. Uh, uh, about 90, uh, 93%, 92%, I'm just looking at the data now, say, yes, definitely we want to have a long-term relationship. So it's like, uh, and, uh, and very few people, I mean, there was like the option to have, like, not to have a relationship at all. I think that's like, I don't know, 2%. <laughs> um, I mean, it's like, yeah, it's clear that um, uh, uh, it's, there would be very, very few people that they would like to have only casual relationships or no relationship at all. Uh, and most people would like to uh, to have. Uh, I mean, that, that would be the long. Uh, that would be um, probably the the optimal strategy in our species. Because the thing is that um, when species that we sort of, um, I mean, having just sex, it's not enough. Right? It's like children. Um, uh, require a lot of investment, uh, and uh, so it pays more. Uh, I mean, I, I come to your initial point in terms of reproduction. At least it pays more uh, to have uh, to establish uh, long-term intimate relationships. So I would say that most people uh, adopt the strategy of having what what has evolved is like people prefer to have a long-term intimate relationships. Uh, but part of this. What has also evolved is like at certain instances or uh, periods of uh, uh, life to also be single. Let me just ask you this then. Could we say then that uh, being single is a sort of contextual strategy that is in certain conditions people go for it, but then there are um, many people, at least nowadays, that are involuntarily single, and that could be because they have uh, a set of uh, psychological traits that lead to that, or not? Yes, uh, I think you described this uh, quite nicely. So I would say that um, uh, depending on the context, people would um, uh, would adjust their strategy. Uh, so imagine, let's say you are in a, you, you move to, to, to a village uh, uh, where there is a, a sex ratio where there is like there is like ninety percent women and uh, very few men. Uh, in this case, uh, establishing a long term relationship uh, with one woman. Okay, that doesn't sound very nice, what I'm saying, but yeah. okay, I want to make the point. Um, might not be the, the optimal strategy. So I would say most people, most men that would go there, would probably say that you know they would stay sort of single and exploit uh, opportunities uh, uh, for sex, right? Uh, so this, this is contextual, or um, or when you are like very young. Uh, in age, uh, so you might say, all right, as I said before, uh, I want to uh, refine my skills, see who I am. Um, uh, now, on the other hand, uh, mo- I would say most contexts 
favor uh, long-term uh, relationships, and uh, so people would go for it. However, um, it appears that uh, uh, although most people would go for it, a considerable percentage of these people uh, would face difficulties in either starting a relationship or keeping a relationship or in both. Okay, so that's a key here. And as a consequence of this, they might end up being single without wanting to. And this is a considerable percentage, not like uh, okay, 5%. So I think like half of the singles, at least in our data, uh, indicate that they are involuntarily so. I mean, they, they don't be singles, but uh, they face difficulties. And what are the set of psychological traits that you found out that usually go hand in hand with having difficulty starting or keeping a relationship? Uh, to be fair with you, uh, uh, this is something that we actively research and um, I can give you a more complete answer a couple of years from now. But there are, we have some data, however. When we ask people why you are single, right? I mean, we ask them, all right? And, uh, and a lot of people would say that, um, I mean, perhaps the, the most common answer, the one that tops uh, the, uh, the regions, is that we have difficulties in flirting. That is, um, uh, we have difficulties approaching someone, understanding if someone is interested uh, uh, in us. Um, uh, we go there and we don't know what to say. Um, uh, so this is kind of uh, uh, a quite uh, common, uh, common thing. Um, um, and uh, I would say this comes into uh, I mean, an evolutionary perspective. Um, I mean, this is the, the thing that I try to understand theoretically, why is the case? Because you said before, okay, mating is extremely important, right? So, uh, this would translate in strong selection pressures uh, to have people, uh, to make people very good in flirting, uh, so they could easily access others, right? So, um, but it appears that a considerable proportion of people say that, you know, I'm having difficulties in flirting, I can't understand others, what they want, I cannot approach women, men. Um, uh, so, which is like, uh, why this is the case? Uh, and I think the answer to this is that, um, I mean, you see uh, historical or, uh, or anthropological uh, data. Or even, I, I presume, in your culture, for example, like the Greek culture, it's like um, if you think of old movies or you think about uh, 50 or 60 years ago, uh, things were very different in the mating domain. And the picture that the anthropological and the historical record um, uh, depicts there is that, look, what happened in an ascending, well, in, I think very recently, at least in, uh, uh, in human evolution, was that the meeting was regulated. That is, um, uh, young people were very controlled uh, uh, by their parents, especially women. So there, is no, there was no flirting. Uh, for instance, here in Cyprus, um, uh, I would say like uh, uh, 60 years ago, I met with some people, and it's like, this was out of the question. 
there were some opportunities for flirting, but you know, women were uh, controlled. I mean, uh, uh, the uh, the architecture of the houses here was like um, so. The house was like built like that, and the garden was internal; it was inside. So um, the woman would stay in the house, and they would just like um, um, go to um, to the garden, say, but the others would not would not be able to see them. Okay, so in modern houses, the garden is outside. But it was, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, so uh, what was happening then? And this happens also in, in, in some uh, countries today, right? I mean, it's like uh, women are totally controlled. Uh, there are no issues of uh, flirting there, obviously. Uh, now imagine uh, then that uh, we have evolved in a kind of context where there was no much flirting uh, around. Uh, uh, marriages were arranged. That is, if I had to find a partner, it's usually that my parents would find one for me rather than myself. Although if you were a man, there was the option to do it on your own, but not to go and approach the woman, but approach her father. Uh, and if the father would approve you, then that's it. Um, so what does it mean then? It means that, yes, the, the, the human mind has evolved um, uh, uh, to go uh, to divert the behavior towards finding a partner, uh, but in a different context, in a context where they, um, uh, there was no much flirting. So what happens then is that um, now the, the, the situation changed. Now you have to find a partner on your own, I have to find a partner on my own. Um, <coughs> uh, and although that, okay, it sounds good, I think it's good, uh, but uh, it might be the case that we're not uh, so much prepared for this new context. That is, now we have to flirt. Uh, in the past, it was not necessary. So it might be that uh, uh, our mental, our, 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 our adaptations are not very well adjusted for this context. And, and a lot of people then uh, face a difficulty in doing so, uh, with the result of, uh, of being involuntarily single and reporting when they ask that, you know, have, we face difficulties in, uh, in flirting, and uh, that's one of the reasons that we have. This is not the main, sorry, this is the main reason for most people, but it's not the only one. I mean, there are other things like um, uh, characteristics of personality, like uh, if people are uh, introverted, this is um, also an obstacle. Uh, or there are things like, um, you know, people might not pay too much attention to their looks, uh, which is, uh, uh, but it also relates to this. I mean, in the past, uh, when parents, let's say, would arrange a marriage, they wouldn't care about uh, looks, right? So it's like, and this is not their, their issue. So they, so people might um, have involved not to care so much about uh, their appearance, but now in this context, it matters. Um, so there are these, I mean, there's this general idea, which I think is, is key here, uh, that we have evolved in a context where ma uh, uh, mating was regulated, controlled, and we found ourselves with adaptations that have evolved in this context, in a new context, um, where it's not longer controlled, and we have um, uh, to find mates on our own, and this might be problematic in certain senses. We might not, we might, uh, not have the optimal hardware uh, to do it. Mm -hmm. 
But uh, let me just ask you this. I don't know if you can answer this question or not, but uh, since we usually look into uh, traditional societies like hunter-gatherers to try to get a closer peek into the kinds of societies that we evolved in, do you know if that kind of phenomenon, like, for example, arranged marriages, also occurs in those kinds of societies? Because... Uh, I mean, it's easy for me to associate that kind of thing with uh, agricultural societies or industrial societies, right? Because we know the history of those kinds of societies. But looking further back into our hunter-gatherer origins, let's say, do you know if that also occurred or not? Okay. Yeah. Um, so... Um, um uh, uh, to say for your audience that um, uh, I mean, we, in evolutionary psychology, we, we put a lot of emphasis on uh, uh, hunters and gatherers because for uh, most of human evolution, uh, um, our ancestors were living as hunters and gatherers. Um, and the, the bad thing with this is that uh, there were no written records about hunters and gatherers. They, uh, none of the ancestral hunters and gatherers uh, invented writing. So we have to, to, to rely on modern hunters and gatherers um, and say that what is typical here most probably was typical uh, in ancestral uh, hunters and gatherers. Um, so that's what I did um, uh, for my PhD, so what I, what I was like, or part of my PhD. So I studied the anthropological records on uh, hunters and gatherers, um, or modern hunters and gatherers, to see the meeting patterns. And um, I found that uh, more, um, okay, I don't have the, the data in front of me, but more, in more than uh, 60 or 70 percent, I would say, of the uh, of a sample of 190 societies I had, marriages uh, were regulated. They were arranged. So, like, um, total free choice was like, I don't know, 5 percent or 6 percent. So, uh, it seems that the anthropological record is clear on this. Uh, uh, the, uh, uh, in this context, in the foraging context, in the handlers and gatherers context, uh, mating was regulated. But the transition to agropastoralism um, uh, also strengthened this. That is, um, it seems that, again, the anthropological and historical records this time, because we have historical records uh, for the agropastoral period, um, it seems that. In this context, as we said, um, then the grip of parents strengthened. There are reasons for this, but uh, it strengthened. In the agropastoral period, for some uh, research, for some evolutionary scholars, was not that important. For me, I think it's extremely important um, because it's the most recent, um, and um, all of us here who have this discussion uh, emerged are. are, are um, let's say great-grandparents were probably farmers or came from this uh, context. So um, uh, I think this is key here. It's also uh, this, this period, albeit short, um, had an important uh, impact in shaping some of our adaptations. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, it is 
that gives us a pretty clear picture that throughout like 99.9% of our evolutionary history and even more recent history like in agriculture and industrial societies, people really didn't need to develop those kinds of skills that they need to have today in order to uh, get a partner. Right. That's correct. That's correct. That, that's, that's, I would say, uh, a good time. <laughs> okay. Uh, but, uh, let me now ask you another thing. Uh, what are the costs of, of being single for a human, of course? Okay. Uh, I, I, I presume you, you are referring to, to an emotional the overall impact on people's okay. psychological lives, let's say. Right. I think what you, you are asking is critical because there are uh, some debates uh, that can even find online saying that some people are actually would think that, okay, being single is a good thing. Why bother? I mean, uh, be on your own, have fun. Uh, right. Um, so maybe they they advocate uh, that this is a good long-term strategy because as I said before, in certain instances, by a very good short-term strategy. Like to say that for let's say for the next year, I will be on my own uh, in no relationship. Uh, so they, there is this debate. Uh, uh, my answer is that uh, to this is that uh, for the vast majority of people. Uh, it wouldn't fit uh, well. Uh, this would be a, a bad, a very bad choice to go this way. Uh, and let me be more specific to come to the costs. Now, uh, what happens is that uh, since mating is important and uh, uh, long-term mating in the sense that you, people need to establish uh, a family and uh, a, sorry, establish a relationship and then have uh, a family where they would invest considerably to their children. Um, uh, Given the evolutionary importance of this, uh, people have uh, evolved mechanisms that would motivate them to do so. That is, if you think about it, it's not that you stay here and then you think, all right, I need to pass my genes to the next generation. In our species, this requires having a family, so let's uh, establish a relationship with someone, have children. You don't think like that. You feel doing that. That is, um, uh, uh, we have evolved specific mechanisms, emotions or feelings um, that motivate our behavior. Uh, so how would you, how these feelings would, would go, would, would um, uh, push you towards this direction? Well, let me give you some examples. Let's say when you are, um, you, don't, you don't have an intimate relationship, uh, you start feeling lonely. But this is a very uh, negative feeling and, and this loneliness is not like um, that you have your friends, your friends come around, then will go away. No, because it's different. It's loneliness that you need a partner. You have a need for intimacy. Um, uh, so to get rid of this negative feeling, uh, this would motivate you to find a partner. Um, or you would feel uh, a sexual lust. Um, that would also motivate you towards uh, this. Um, and then um, you would experience love that would motivate you uh, to keep a relationship once you, you find one, right? Um, so it, it seems that our emotions, um, um, uh, our emotional mechanisms generate negative, negative uh, uh, feelings or emotions 
uh, that would push us towards finding a partner in order to get rid of them. That is, we would feel uh, lonely, sad, unhappy, unfulfilled if we are on our own. So, this means that uh, if you are, uh, if you face, if you want to find a partner and you, uh, 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 for the reasons we discussed before, uh, you face difficulties in this, um, then this, this emotions, this, this will pay an emotional cost. The emotions will be on uh, uh, to make you find a partner. Let, let, let me give you another example. It's like feeling hungry, right? Um, this is a negative emotion because it, it motivates you uh, to find food so this will go away, uh, right? But if you don't manage to find food, it doesn't go away. You will, you will still feel hungry, right? So, um, with this, this, this negative emotion. If you don't manage to find a partner, you will feel um, uh, unhappy, lonely, unfulfilled, so on and so forth. And this is not uh, this is a, a prediction uh, that we tested in the Greek cultural context, of course. Um, so we ask people, uh, uh, let's say, if uh, they were single, married in a relationship, uh, and, and so on and so forth, and if they were single, if they were involuntarily so or voluntarily, and so on and so forth. And then we asked them to read, um, uh, we measured uh, uh, their emotions, and we found uh, big differences. Say that uh, the, the, the involuntary single group uh, had the highest scores of loneliness, unhappiness, uh, of, of, of the negative emotions, and uh, those who were in a relationship or married uh, had the lower scores in this. Um, and others who were said that they were voluntarily single, uh, there were some in between. So this is something uh, that um, uh, that's what the data show. I presume life experience of this. But of course, it's what to replicate. You have to. Um, I would, maybe again we will discuss this again as I said in a couple of years. But I give you more. Uh, 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 data okay, so let's now move to talking about uh, parental choice and parent offspring conflict. We already touched on the issue about uh, arranged marriage, so that's one thing, but generally speaking, could you first explain where parent offspring conflict comes from? I mean, what, what is its evolutionary rationale? Okay, uh, it's more like it, it goes into uh, it has more of a genetic uh, rationale, saying that okay, okay uh, 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 so the idea is that um, let's say you and your parents are genetically related because you got all your genes from your parents, right? So, um, so purely in genetic terms, you have um, uh, uh, converging interests, genetic interests. That is. Uh, if you do well and you manage to find a, a mate and have children, that's good for your own for, for for your own genes, which are also genes of your parents. So it's also good for their own uh, genetic um, uh, is to their own genetic benefit. So there is this um, 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 uh, agreement, or if you say common interest. Uh, that's why you know the families are close together. That's why you love your parents. That's why your parents love you, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, however, you are not genetically identical to your father, to you and your father, you're not genetically identical, right? It's half of his genes are inside you, uh, and half are not. Um, so, 
this also gives the potential of conflict. That is, from his perspective, he should uh, look after the welfare of all of the hundred percent of his dreams. Um, some are inside you, some are not. From your perspective, you should care about the welfare of the hundred percent of your genes. Uh, some of them are inside your uh, father, some uh, are not. Um, so the genetic interests do not completely overlap. Right. Uh, uh, so to use one example that might not, not sound, let's say, very uh, realistic in this context in, in modern uh, post-industrial societies, but in a, in a pre-industrial one, um, is more realistic. So let's say your uh, let's say your father might um, live in a society where uh, polygamy is allowed, which was quite common, uh, and uh, say that okay, mm, uh, it may pay for me uh, to divert a lot of effort uh, in getting uh, another young wife and a young third wife, let's say, and uh, let's say not uh, invest. Uh, so much to Ricardo. Okay, weekly I will invest, of course, uh, in him. But uh, it may pay more for me to divert, uh, let's say, uh, my effort and money and whatever to attract a new wife and have children. This is good for you because his children will also be related to you, but uh, less than uh, you are related to yourself. So you might think I prefer to get more from my parents than from my father. Sorry, that he's willing to give. Um, so that I would use this investment to have my own children. So you see, it's like, this is not so straightforward argument, uh, but the idea is that because we are not genetically related, there is some uh, space for uh, conflict, and part of this conflict materializes in mating. That is, uh, your mating choices uh, might not be to the best interest uh, uh, of your parents. And the other way around. Uh, so, so that's a general introduction to this. Okay, so let me now ask you a more specific thing. Do we yes. know? Do we know if is, there is a set of traits that are the ones parents care the most about in a partner for their children? Or uh, let me use a trait that they care less. Uh, this is <laughs> this is <laughs> this is uh, good looks. Um, this is one consistent. Okay, in the issues we find many traits that there are differences, but one consistent uh, difference uh, is uh, has to do with looks. So when you are um, uh, you are out uh, finding, let's say, a partner, um, you give more emphasis on looks. Uh, than if your parents were to find a partner for you. So let's say you would try to get someone uh, who is, let's say, eight, um, your parents would go for someone who is six. Um, so this is, this is a conflicting so-called uh, uh, trait. So um, now what happens here is that, uh, so you might ask, all right, so what, where's the conflict? Because, okay, I go out and uh, I find a very beautiful uh, woman, let's say she's an eight, uh, I present to my parents, they will say, oh, no, we want a six. This is not, doesn't make sense. 
However, in the Kihia thing, which is I admit has some complexity, um, is that to get the mate, uh, you have to do some compromises, right? Because um, mate choice involves compromises. That is, it's not like, or else everybody will get the tent in everything, so there will be no conflict. Everybody was a super woman, a super man, and everybody would be happy. But it doesn't work that way. So one reason is that because we are not tense in everything, right? So we have to make compromises. And you make your compromises on the basis of what is more important to you. And uh, so it is quite important for each beauty is important to you. Uh, then you would compromise on other things, let's say like family background, you might not care so much, let's say she, if her family is high status, you might have, you might say, okay, it doesn't matter, that is not so high status, it's okay, I will get some, but she's good looking. Uh, but because your parents, uh, 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 the good looks are not that important to them, uh, they would see that the compromise you did it's not very good for them. So we say, okay, here is, let's say, Maria is good looking, and, uh, and they say, oh, nice, nice. And we'll ask Maria, what, uh, what is your family, and what comes about? And when they say that, when they say that she might not be similar to their status, it's like uh, lower, they might say, mm, our boy failed us. And, uh, and, uh, and that's where the conflict starts. So it's not because we got a woman uh, uh, that's called high, uh, uh, in, in this beauty trade, it is because this trade is uh, not that important to parents, and you did compromises to trades that are important to parents to get this, and then the conflict starts. Now, the important bit in this um, that goes to mating now mm -hmm. is that uh, for pa for your parents to prevent you to do such thing, um, to do okay, to go for uh, this woman. Uh, um, they would control you. So, so they would uh, attempt to control your uh, behavior, um, your sexuality, your anything. Um, so they will do the choice and impose this on you. This is called arranged marriage. And in the, in, in the, in the, in the uh, most post-industrial society, uh, pre-industrial society, sorry, it's common, it's a typical form of mating. And parents, that is, it demonstrates that parents have the capacity to impose their will on their children. In modern societies, like our own, they don't have it. I mean, they cannot say, Ricardo, you will marry her, or they cannot do it, they cannot do it with me. Uh, they don't give up, however, uh, and they would go to use manipulation. So let's say your, your mother might start crying, saying, oh, I will die, you, you marry her. Your father say, oh, my heart, I'm going to... Uh, some, some of this manipulation works, some doesn't, and because again, you care about your, your partner, I care about uh, my, my, my family, right? So I, I, I remember thinking to myself, when I, when I flirted with a woman, um, uh, you know, um, what my parents would think about her, or my mother, uh, you know, just say, my, okay, I like her, but my mother would feel very sad, and uh, uh, I care about my mother, right? So it is, for some people, this is important. So even, so even today, um, uh, parents have an influence on this. <laughs>
Uh, and what are those kinds of manipulation that parents use? Is it mostly emotional manipulation or do they also talk about other things like, for example, uh, resources? I mean, they might disinherit their children, right, or something <laughs> right. like that. So are, is, are those the types of things that we're talking about here? Uh, I would say predominantly emotional ones. Uh, the reason being that in most Western societies, um, or most industrial societies in general, uh, uh, children have uh, an economic independence. That is, um, you sell your labor, I sell my labor, uh, I can live on my own with my salary. Uh, so, in the past, this was not the case, and there was like a lot of dependence on parents, especially during the agropastoral period. Um, but now, so that's one of the reasons that arranged marriage. Uh, was present because uh, 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 parents could manipulate your dependence on them uh, to, to impose their choices. Um, now they cannot do this. So they say, Ricardo, look, we're not going to give you our inheritance or we're not going to give you. Uh, so you might say, I don't care. I have my salary. I can live on my own. So usually they don't do it. They go to the emotional thing. And because, as we said before, we have converging interests. Um, we love our parents, we care about our, 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 our parents as they care for us, and they might use uh, uh, this. So they might say that, it doesn't before, they will use an emotional thing that, okay, your mother might have, okay, say, okay, Ricardo married this woman, but uh, okay, it starts crying, and, um, you know, uh, and she might say that your father will die, and, and then she's sad, and, uh, and then you, you may feel uh, very bad. Uh, or, um, okay, there are some other things they can do. They can use emotional manipulation on her, make her feel unwelcomed. Uh, so, uh, they might say, and this is, this, has an emo this could be effective if she's um, sensitive. And of course, it works the other way around as well. I mean, if they find someone that they think it's good for you, they might ah, this woman makes me happy. My mother called me the other day and she said that, uh, oh, okay, um, uh, because my girlfriend uh, visited her, oh, she's very excellent, treat her well, uh, be careful, uh, uh, don't do lose her, because she, she, she had the, the traits that she liked. And she used this uh, manipulation. And for me, this was important, because, uh, you know, my mother is old, um, I want her to be happy, and this gives me an incentive to keep the relationship. Um, so this, it can work both ways. So, um, so parents would use emotional manipulation. They would also use resources as well. But this might, might not, for the reason I explained, this not, won't be the, the primary uh, thing. So, so yes, they would use resources, but this, this, this won't be the primary thing. To make things a bit more interesting, it doesn't stop there because people, children, could use counter-manipulation to manipulate their parents to accept their choices. So you might say, okay, if you don't approve her, then, uh, okay, I will uh, take her and move out and you will never see us again. Or uh, uh, we'll have children, we'll never see this. Or uh, I will be very unhappy, I will be lonely. Uh, do you want mommy for your son to be like that and cry all day, let's say? Or, uh, so, uh, 
this again also this counter uh, uh, manipulation um, uh, or believe that Harry bought uh, this and they also use it in pre-industrial context. So in the pre-industrial context, it's not always the case that the parents have a free ride imposing their, uh, um, uh, their will. Uh, so there were instances recorded that they say that you know if I if you marry me with this old man I will commit suicide. It was partially manipulation, but uh, a parent wouldn't like to take the risk because there were too many too many things at stake. So um, so perhaps they might consider some compromise. As children would consider some compromise. So you see, this is especially manipulation. This is an interesting uh, thing. I mean, one tries to manipulate the other, so there is counter manipulation. Are there any big sex differences in terms of the preferences that parents have for their uh, sons-in-laws or daughters-in-law or something like that? Um, let me try to remember. There are differences. Uh, this might be um, uh, to some extent, uh, cultural, uh, depending on uh, um, on uh, um, on the context. So, for instance, in certain societies, it might be the case that you know women don't work, or uh, they have like um, I mean, the the, the primary uh, providers are men. So, in in, in these contexts, uh, uh, they would ascribe more. Uh, uh, more important, let's say, uh, the part of the more importance to um, to the education of, uh, of the in-law, of the son-in-law, whether he's able to provide, and for the woman, uh, for, the, for the daughter, you know, sorry, whether she's a good in housekeeping. Uh, in other societies where uh, these are more balanced, uh, the roles are more balanced, uh, these, these differences go away, so they would uh, sort of uh, uh, they would ascribe uh, uh, more importance. Uh, they, would, they would ascribe more importance, let's say, to uh, to provide. Let's say here, for instance, it's like uh, my girlfriend makes more money than I do, so they, they wouldn't be. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> fortunately or unfortunately, I don't know. Um, uh, so this might go away. There are, however, some more persistent differences. So. Uh, although parents don't care so much about the looks of, uh, uh, of an in-law, uh, they would ascribe more uh, importance to the looks of a daughter-in-law than of a uh, son-in-law. Uh, one reason is that looks summarize many things like youth, uh, so this, is, this would be important for them in terms of having grandchildren or whatever. And or another reason is that there might be also some uh, in, uh, some compromise with their sons, as I discussed before, because for men looks is, is quite important. Uh, they don't want to have like a daughter-in-law that uh, her son will totally reject. So my, this might also reflect a compromise on, uh, on this. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, about uh, mating control by parents, let's say, let me just ask you one last question. Yes, yes, sure. So, of course, nowadays probably that's not really that important, but historically speaking, uh, 
this kind of parental preference or choice also got translated into some social norms and even institutions, right? And even, for example, at the level of things like religion, there probably were some norms or even legal systems that derived from religion that expressed this sort of mating control, right? Correct. Correct. Uh, especially in agro-pastoral societies, um, uh, in order to be more effective, um, the older generation, being parents, shape uh, uh, certain institutions so as to serve this purpose. So, for instance, as you say correctly, religion, I mean, you see like a, many religious dogmas, like the Christian ones, there is this thing that obey your parents. Uh, and this is important, because like, obey your parents or go to hell. This is, okay, so it's like a, a kind of divine kind of, uh, of thing. So it's like, um, um, so for believers, um, this is important. So the, the, the one of your father would say, you marry her. Um, if you disobey him, it's like you disobey God. So this is very, it's a key here. All right, so this, this would apply to, uh, to both um, uh, daughters and sons, like uh, this, this kind of institution, and like even uh, the law that was developed in many well developed in, uh, in agropastoral societies uh, would have uh, important penalties. You disobey your parents, you couldn't uh, marry on your own, um, so this would restrict you. And of course, there were other institutions, especially targeting women. Uh, uh, to control, uh, to control her sexuality. So they say things like uh, you have to cover your face, uh, your hair. Um, do you are locked inside? You're not allowed to go outside on your own without uh, uh, the assistance, uh, without the sorry, company of a man uh, from your family. What this do? What this does is to control you. So I mean, um, uh, if you uh, if you find. Uh, I mean, you cannot flirt, you cannot exercise your own choice, so you accept the choice of your parents, right? And this could be quite effective, because if you are always locked inside, or if you are outside, you are wearing all this, uh, and nobody can see you, you don't know if it's like, uh, uh, if you meet a, a woman uh, by the street, you don't know if she's like um, a relative, if she's like 70 years old or uh, 20 years old. So this could be quite effective. And others could be then, uh, more uh, brutal, like uh, let's say food uh, binding in uh, in China, like in the past. So they would uh, they would uh, break um, uh, their their feet. So uh, they would be totally dependent uh, on uh, their parents and on their husbands later. Also, they would be totally controlled. Okay, so this is like um, 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 these are these are this is. I believe they have been quite effective in regulating uh, 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 mating. And uh, when you consider this, uh, make a contrast with the modern society, how different this was. And now, and, and, and now it makes sense that people face difficulties um, uh, with flirting or. Uh, you see, what, what is flirting if, let's say, uh, women are locked inside the, the house or if they go out for a while? And you cannot even see them. So it cannot happen. You don't need them flirting. What you need to sort of flirt is uh, their parents. The parents to approve you, not. Uh. <laughs> 
Yeah, uh, I mean, I was saying that probably nowadays that's not as ah. important as before in our modern societies, but maybe I was focusing mostly on weird societies, right? Western, right. educated, industrialized, rich and democratic, because probably in other societies, like, for example, the Muslim ones and the traditional right. ones like hunter-gatherers and horticulturalists, that's still a very important aspect, right? I agree with you. I agree. I mean, you can actually, these institutions are not historical. They are, they are practiced now as well in certain societies, right? Oh. Mm -hmm. Right. So, okay, let, uh, let us just explore one last, one last topic before we go, uh, because, uh, I mean, I find it very interesting that you also studied a little bit or tried to understand the evolution of women's bisexuality, because as far as I understand it, there are uh, many more women than men, that are more sexually fluid or they are bisexual. I mean, when it comes to men, as far as I know, if they are homosexual, they are strictly homosexual, at least when comparing to women. There are many f fewer men that are bisexual than women. So, I mean, uh, as far as you studied the subject, why would you say that is the case? Okay, um, again, like singlehood, uh, this is a complex phenomenon. However, I'm I've researched this for, been researching this for a couple of years now. So I, I, in this one, I can have more, give you more information. Actually, I'm, uh, I'm about to publish a book that I will summarize on this uh, okay. by Springer uh, sometime next year. Um, again, because it has to have complexity, but we have a lot of data that can um, give us a more general picture on this. Uh, now, um, this relates to the singlehood thing, in the sense that, um, you said before, since mating is so important, why some people are single? Since mating, heterosexual mating, is so important uh, uh, in terms of evolution, why there are so many people uh, so why so many people experience same-sex attractions? Um, it, it doesn't have one simple answer. Uh, uh, there are two main answers in this one, two main explanations that I, I put forward. Um, uh, first of all, before I get to this explanation, I would say that it seems that about, okay, we cannot be sure, given the sensitive nature of this, but I would say between uh, 10 to 20%, more close, more leaning towards 20, of people experience some degree of same-sex attraction. That is, they are attracted to, to, to the same sex. So, some degree, because it has degrees, it's not like you are homosexual or bisexual. You can be heterosexual, no attraction at all to the same sex. Uh, heterosexual with some attraction to, uh, to the same sex, bisexual roughly equal attraction, and heterosexual uh, limited attraction, and homosexual sorry, limited attraction to, to the opposite sex, predominantly you are attracted to the same sex. Um, the distributions are that uh, what is more common in both men and women is to be heterosexual 
but experience occasionally same-sex attractions. That is, you are predominantly attracted, let's say, if you are a man to woman, but occasionally you might be attracted uh, to other men. Uh, there is also uh, bisexual, especially men, not that high, uh, and uh, in uh, homosexual people have like a, about, I would say, about 5% of men, 2.5 women. Um, okay, so it goes like this, uh, the distribution. Alright, so uh, I would say, let's, let's, let's get something to say around 15 or 16% of people experience some degree of same-sex attraction, which is a lot, which is a lot. Uh, um, one reason is that, uh, that I put forward is that these attractions uh, have a genetic basis, and we know this, it's not my proposal. Uh, uh, one reason is that um, this experience, the, 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 the genetic dispositions for these uh, 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 attractions uh, didn't ex were not um, under very strong negative selection. Uh, there was negative selection in them, but this was weak. Uh, and when the selection is weak, uh, it allows um, this disposition to exist in the, in, the, in the population. So, if there is a, a weak selection on a given trait, um, usually we expect that um, there will be considerable variation, or at least, let's say, these attractions will exist in the population. Um, in a relative high frequency. So, for instance, if there's a genetic uh, predisposition that makes you, let's say, it kills you when you are 10, uh, it, it will be eliminated, it will be in 1 in 10,000 or 100,000 in the population. However, it doesn't kill you, uh, and uh, if it, it's not very harmful for you, it might be in, very, in relative high frequency in the population. Now, to, to your point, um, these weak selections come from uh, what we discussed before. For, from things like uh, arranged marriage. So let's say if you are uh, homosexual, uh, bisexual, or it doesn't really matter. In the past, your parents okay, let's say you marry heterosexually, and that's it. The, so uh, it doesn't matter if you are attracted to men, women, to whatever. Um, it doesn't really matter. And it, this would translate into um, weakening any negative selection on, 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 on dispositions that um, uh, 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 make you attracted to the same sex. So, for instance, if you are attracted to the same sex, you marry heterosexually, you have children, this, this disposition passes to the next generation, the same as an individual which is exclusively heterosexual. So, I believe there are other factors there. I mean, it would take us more than an hour to discuss them, but the idea is that there are factors, there were factors in the past uh, that weaken negative selection on, uh, on, uh, on uh, predispositions for same sex attraction. And that's one of the reasons that these are um, uh, uh, in, in relative high frequency. The other explanation is that in certain instances, it might be that same-sex attraction um, was beneficial. So, um, uh, for men, as you said, that it is that we have double, almost double the, uh, the percentage of uh, those who are uh, homosexuals. So they are, the homosexuals are more than a woman, uh, and this doesn't fit well the model of weak selection uh, pressure. So it implies, it might not necessarily be the case, um, uh, that male homosexuality in relatively low frequency, maybe in the past, 
was uh, uh, beneficial in certain instances and was selected for. This, there is an intense debate. Uh, I also put forward some hypotheses why may be, this may, may be the case. Um, but uh, yet I'm not very sure if, it's like, if, if there is a total, if, 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 if there is a consensus uh, about this. I think it, it, there's no consensus. Um, for women, uh, uh, what I find in many of the uh, of, of, of my research is that um, it seems that men find same-sex attraction uh, uh, very not all men, a lot of men mm-hmm. find same-sex attraction in a woman uh, exciting, uh, attractive. It's something they like. Uh, but same-sex attraction in heterosexual women. That is, uh, if you are, let's say, heterosexual, you don't want to, uh, I mean, you don't prefer a woman who is like a, a homosexual or even bisexual, but if she's heterosexual and occasionally she's attracted to women, a lot of men will find this very, very attractive. Um, uh, and, say and about, do, do, you, do you know why? That is the case. Um, well, we can. I have this theoretical now. Uh, one reason is that um, having a woman uh, that uh, she's also attracted to to woman might give you also access to other women, especially if she's a casual uh, partner, right? So you have like trios, or um, so actually, um, then it would be easier for you uh, to to gain access to other women. Um, that was, I think that's an important reason. The other is that uh, men exhibit tolerance to, same, to the same-sex attractions of their partners, or even like this, before, because, well, when your partner has sex, uh, let's say your female partner has sex with a woman, she doesn't have sex with a man, right? Because you have a limited uh, space and uh, time to, um, uh, to have extra pair relationships, and for men, at least till during the human evolutionary time, uh, the, 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 major, the major risk was uh, to raise other men's children. Because men don't, we don't give birth to our children, um, then we don't know really if they are our own. Um, so if uh, uh, my partner, when she feels like cheating on me, she cheats with a woman, well, that's good for me in a sense. Because uh, I'm sort of secure. So this, this is another factor. Um, uh, uh, in the game. This, this also explains tolerance, but also preference for this attracting uh, woman. And again, um, uh, having this male preference in mind, uh, you might understand, uh, see again, our, our culture, that you see that uh, a woman having sex with each other, but in being heterosexual, this is something you see in movies, um, on TV, um, the same sex, is, it, it, it appears it's something uh, nice, something we like. Um, so we, um, I think this is the, this is the, pref- this is the main preference that uh, is responsible for uh, for this one. Okay, so that, that I would say that uh, you know, so that it's, like, it's because men, it's because women usually were controlled more. Um, uh, weak selection was uh, a selection of same-sex attraction was weaker on women than on men. This is also this could also explain. Uh, I'm going back to your uh, question. Um, why uh, women, uh, we find more women with same-sex attractions uh, than men. 
and probably the main preference also for same-sex attraction in, in women. That's another um, uh, uh, reason why we find this preference, uh, uh, this, this sorry, this trait uh, to be in high prevalence uh, in women. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, being exclusively homosexual would have a different evolutionary rationale than being heterosexual or sexually fluid, because I guess that uh, being, uh, let's say, bisexual would be much easier to explain from an evolutionary perspective than being exclusively homosexual. Correct. Uh, the answer is. Um Uh, well, some okay. Uh, what I believe is that uh, same-sex attraction in heterosexual uh, 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 people uh, might have a different explanation than let's say homosexuality. Right. So that's. Uh, but but uh, let's say when we have weak selection pressures. Uh, uh, we would expect that uh, um, uh, heterosexual, uh, same-sex attraction with heterosexual individuals would be in higher frequency than homosexuality, which is the case. However, if for some reason, uh, what we believe is that uh, 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 there are hundreds or even thousands of genes uh, that regulate attraction, Uh, so, if you have, let's say, couple of, uh, a number of, of, the, of, 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 of genes that predispose for same-sex attraction, you are predominantly heterosexual, but you become, uh, at some point, uh, and you have also you experience also uh, heterosexual attractions, and if you have many of these uh, uh, genes, uh, you might be uh, homosexual. So, what happens is that if there is weak selection, Uh, there might be uh, a lot of these genes in the in the gene pool, so by chance, uh, 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 some people might ha- uh, have more and become homosexuals. So weak selection might be responsible both for um, uh, for what we say for the for the uh, same-sex attraction to heterosexual people and for homosexual people. However, because um, Uh, uh, there is this difference between men and women uh, in uh, uh, the distribution of same-sex attraction. There is like a peak in, in male homosexuality. This indicates that this is not the only explanation. So there might be reasons that make male uh, uh, homosexuality uh, beneficial, uh, give some fitness benefit, uh, and these reasons are sort of irrelevant about explaining same-sex attraction and heterosexual people. Okay, this sounds a bit complicated, I understand this. Uh, however, it is a complex phenomenon. Uh, so there might be uh, some explanations, to go to your answers, some reasons actually, might uh, explain the full range of same-sex attraction, uh, but for... Um, but Uh, there might be specific explanations that explain also some parts of uh, some bit of it. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so Dr. Apostolo, let's end the interview here. Before we go, uh, uh, do you want to tell people what are the best places on the internet for them to find your work and maybe uh, give us a, a little or a small preview of your next book, let's say? Okay, uh, so um, I put everything, uh, I've tried at least uh, to put everything online. Um, so people uh, could uh, could read uh, uh, my work. Uh, so they, you could um, uh, so the interested uh, uh, reader can have a look at uh, ResearchGate. So I try to put almost everything uh, there. Um, academia also, um, or they can send me uh, any mail and I can uh, forward any, any any paper they are interested in. Uh, now, um, as I said before, I'm working on. Uh, on, 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 on this book on same-sex attraction that will be published by Springer uh, uh, sometimes sometime next uh, next year. Um, here it's like I, I just try to put all these arguments together, given it's a complex phenomenon, uh, uh, to make a solid uh, account of same-sex attraction. Uh, I try to do this to be evidence-based rather than theoretical abilities for this. It has theory, of course, because this I'm interested in, uh, but it would be evidence-based, and I would just try to summarize a lot of um, research articles there, and perhaps address some of the uh, criticisms there. Um, so that's the general uh, uh, idea of this uh, book. Okay, great. So right. I will be leaving links in the description box of the interview for your work so that people can go and check it out. It's very interesting. Uh, and again, it was really a pleasure to have you on the show. And sorry if I butchered your name <laughs> during the interview. <laughs> no worries, no worries. Uh, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And uh, I hope we we'll talk again at a future time. I will give you more information for future research projects. Take care. Yes. Yes, I also hope so. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Thank you for watching this interview until the end. As you might have noticed, I've been putting out regular interviews with academics and intellectuals from a variety of fields. So to keep the channel sustainable, I would like to ask you to please visit my Patreon page and to consider making a pledge there. Any amount, even just $1, would already be a great help. Otherwise, and if you like what I'm doing, please share it, leave a like, and hit the subscription button. I would also like to give a huge thank you to my patrons and PayPal supporters, Karen Litzke, Anne Blanchett, Peralga Larsen, Lau Guerrero, Chantel Gilinas, Francis Ford, Hans Frederick Sunda, Brian Rivera, Lucas Stafiniak, Sergio Kondriano, Jane Heninen, Ricardo Vladimiro, Craig Healy, John Connors, Adam Castle, Vega Gidi, Olaf Alex, Jonathan Wiesel, David Diaz, Anian Kata, Jakob Klinkby, Dr. Jerry Mueller, Herbert Gintis, Rutger Voss, and Bo Weingart. My three producers is our web, Rosie and Jim Frank, and my executive producer, Mikal Ruzieski. Thank you for all.